Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. If you are a survivor, a caregiver, a researcher, a support group leader, or a local business helping the stroke and brain injury community, Stroke Focus is offering a number of exciting programs. Get details at the end of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus. Today, we're going to interview Marty Zimmerman. He is a stroke survivor. He's an, he was 25, and he suffered a hemorrhagic stroke due to a brain AEM. His left side is weakened, but much has returned since March 7th of 2013. He has written about the incident and recovery, and it is entitled Life Interrupted, the Story of a Young Stroke Survivor. So I'm not going to go into the rest of, of what I know about Marty. We're going to talk about it as we interview. So welcome, Marty. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For those people who don't know what an AVM is, can you just briefly explain to them maybe what it is? Sure. Um, layman's terms, I, I can I can do my best. Okay. It stands for an arteriovenous malformation. It's a birth defect, and uh, they can form anywhere in your body, but typically in the brain or along the spine. And it just simply means that the arteries and the veins just aren't properly connected. And usually... If it's in the brain, you might have symptoms like um, changes in your vision, headaches, maybe low seizure activity, something that would suggest that maybe you need to go to a doctor or get a scan of some sort. But for me, I didn't know till that morning, March 7th of 2013, when it ruptured. Usually, I guess you go through adolescence and you're in your early 20s and you're about fully developed, and then that's where there can be issues. How did you feel in the beginning when they told you about this? My last memory from that day is of my dad, because uh, I woke up that morning feeling fine, ready to go to work, and it was when I tried to get out of bed that I ended up collapsing on my floor, and then I realized I can't feel anything on my left side. So I was able to reach up with my right hand, and I'm right-handed, and grab my cell phone. And I was able to call my dad, who is the funeral director in town. And my second floor apartments contained within the funeral home building. And so he was able to come over, and he's thinking stroke, but how many healthy 25-year-olds suffer a stroke? And I wasn't anxious at first until my, the tone of my dad's voice changed. And then I knew that something was seriously wrong. And I kind of blank out from there, and my memories don't really kick in till about two weeks later when I'm at the Penn State Hershey Rehab Hospital. And I can still recall going to a like a stroke seminar in one of the conference rooms there with my mom and my grandma, who was is also a stroke survivor. And that's where the first realization that I could have died hit me. And I remember just breaking down in that room because I just I hadn't considered what might have happened. Just your explanation of that, I have to say it, that hit home. I had to try not to cry because I 
can totally feel that emotion of, of suddenly realizing what happened and where you were, but also where I was. I think that may be kind of common thing between uh, survivors. So you do mm-hmm. live in Pennsylvania. You graduated from college and then you earned a master's degree right. in applied history. In December of last year, you do work as a part-time deli clerk, but you've also taken on a role as a part-time instructor for the Rimfrew Institute. You want to tell everybody about it a little bit? Sure. So this fits along right with my, my master's degree because applied history is a field of history where you educate the general public. So with museums and national parks, I like that one-on-one with people to take questions and be a tour guide or, you know, explain things. So the Renfrew Institute offers nature programs and history programs related to the Waynesboro area for kids as young as preschool up through sixth grade. And so the class that I help with is a sixth grade history class where the kids learn about the family that built the farmstead that the museum now occupies. And um, they service about 10,000 students a year. And currently, the way our schedule is set up, we have 35 kids in the morning, 35 kids in the afternoon. And it can be kind of challenging. Sixth graders, most most of the kids are interested in the topic. And um, there's a, a stone house on the property that every year they, the kids ask, can we go in the house? And, and when they're in this in this program, they, they do get to go into the house. So it's kind of a prize if, if they can, you know, behave themselves and make it through the day, then they can go in the house. A lot of short kids, a lot of interested kids, and um, sometimes you just you just don't know what you're going to hear from kids. But you just try to keep them focused and, and on task, and, and they do a good job. I'm going to go back to your hospitalization and, and recovery there. How did you maintain your spirit? I spent one week in the Hershey Medical Center, and I really have no memories of that whatsoever. And then I spent six additional weeks at the Penn State Hershey Rehab Hospital, and that's where my memories kind of kicked back in. Uh, My mom visited me every day but two days on account of snow, and she usually brought somebody with her, my grandma, an aunt, uh, a friend of hers. And for those six weeks, I had a constant stream of visitors and uh, almost a daily a daily delivery of cards. So I knew people were praying for me. They were thinking about me. And um, it, that was very encouraging to me to have people to talk to, to process this. And uh, I didn't sink into a depression like I know some survivors do. And I think it was a lot, a lot of it had to do with my, having my faith, having my family, and having my friends. And um, a lot of people just spoke into me and helped me to kind of see past the moment. So that brings in the next question. How has your faith played a part in all of this? So I have to go back to March 7th and say that there were a series of of miracles that I've come to recognize that took place that day. First one being the phone call that I referred to earlier from my dad. It was an incomplete phone number that I entered in, but the call still went through, and I still talked to my dad. The chief of police was actually a couple doors down from me for whatever reason that morning, and then help was, was 
immediate. I, uh, this past March, on the uh, five years since it had happened, I actually got to meet my flight crew. And all of those guys agreed without me really prompting them that everything lined up just right that day for me to be here. I was the first call that morning. They had no time to check their bags to make sure everything was refilled. And, um, but they all agreed that I'm here, um, in large part because of, uh, the paramedic, uh, Ryan Byler. And, uh, he was the one that made the call that I should be airlifted and that uh, I should be sent to the Hershey Medical Center. Beyond that, um, my faith has just helped me to remain uh, strong with just the, the from from day to day, uh, to remain hopeful and optimistic that uh, that I still serve a purpose, even though I'm not 100%. I might be close to 100%, but even though I'm kind of quote unquote incomplete, that I still have a purpose. I still have a contribution to make. I still have words to pass along. I can still be a role model. So that's that's my faith has helped me to to uh, find something in the midst of this that I can do and be a positive influence to other people. Right? You kind of talked about some obstacles that you've had to face during your recovery. Can you go on about that a little? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I'm reminded of that often that I can do more than what I think. So, for example, last year when I was just the intern for the Renfrew Institute, I didn't quite realize what I was getting myself into. It was a lot of walking, uh, you know, maybe up to two miles on uneven ground, which was was just physically challenging. That was mentally challenging to do that from day to day, you know, maybe four four to five times through a week. That was just uh, very daunting, but I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not walking quite as much. I think currently maybe up to a mile and a half, um, depending on how many times we go down that uh, that lane. But I know I was thinking, can I do this? Is that just too much? And uh, my supervisor there, Pam Rowland, was extremely gracious and understanding um, because when I was kind of interviewing for an internship position, I just explained to her my situation, and and we just made it work. And I've had different people through this recovery process that gave me opportunities, like my my boss, Barry Klein. I went from being a deli clerk, and I didn't know if I could be a deli clerk after the stroke, but Barry and I never assumed that I couldn't do it. So he just allowed me to work an hour on a Tuesday, and after that hour, I, I went back to my, my parents where I was recovering and I slept all afternoon because that was mentally, physically just so challenging. And then I went back on a Thursday and worked an hour. So I worked two hours a week and then I eventually got back to my 30 hours a week. That was a challenge at first to kind of just get back into that routine. My, my current challenge now is I go from Kleins being the deli clerk going to Renfrew some days through the week, then going to the gym, changing the environment is is um, kind of physically challenging. You go from uneven ground to a gym environment to waiting on people for, you know, five, five hours a day. But it, it's all good. It's helped to, me to regain confidence, um, balance, mobility, stamina. All of that's come back. 
probably the thing that's more challenging on this side of the recovery is just dealing with anxiety, worrying about this or that, and wondering, can I do that or should I do that? And sometimes you have to just take a chance. I, I go with my gut. If I feel at ease in my gut, I'll go for it. And if I don't, if I hesitate, then I'll just, I'll, I'll wait. I'll ask for help. I'll gain, I'll get some advice from somebody, my mom, my dad. And um, I try not to shy away from, from challenges, but I, I try to be smart about it too. So you've written a book. So Life Interrupted, the story of a young stroke survivor. How did that come about? I loved to write. had always wanted to write a book. And in the aftermath of everything, I was looking on Amazon trying to find a book, something written that um, showcased a young survivor's story. And the youngest person I could find at that time, which would have been probably the beginning or the middle of 2014, was a 40-year-old woman. And I thought, well, I was 25. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and, and follow through with this. And so I sat down, and within a few months, I had a manuscript that recounted the, the day that I had the stroke and the recovery up until towards the end of 2014. And then it came out in the beginning of 2015, and uh, my parents helped me. And being at the grocery store, I've encountered different people who have read the book or have passed it on or somehow received it. I really wanted to write it, too, so that I could provide hope and inspiration to people that I wouldn't necessarily meet face-to-face. I knew a book would, um, would reach a much larger audience than I could myself. Right. And, uh, and I think it's fulfilled that mission. What you've done writing the book is wonderful because it lets them know that there is another person and, mm-hmm. and that person isn't the only person. And if you're right. finding people, you know, you've sold out of the book the first round. And, and so obviously people are, there are young survivors out there that need this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, that is just so wonderful. Uh, one other question, and I should have probably asked this one earlier. You know, we talked about the anxiety. Have you mm-hmm. any other changes in either your personality or things that go on since 2013 when this happened? No. I think initially the, the doctors at Hershey told my parents that I could be prone to irrational and impulsive behavior, which really didn't mesh with my, my personality beforehand. And my mom was very adamant about taking any of those things and and praying about it and uh, refuting it and letting other people know about it and pray about it, too. And I think that had a, a big impact. But, uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, my personality is still pretty much the way it was. I think, and I have to remind myself, I had a nice conversation or maybe different conversations with my mom that everybody has good days and not so good days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> everybody can stumble or trip or knock an elbow or drop something. That's just not uncommon. It's not just because I happen to have a stroke. I have to keep that in mind at times because I, I guess I can be hard on myself and I, I'm looking to do to improve and to be better. But, I mean, sometimes you just 
there are accidents, small accidents or whatever. And um, so I just try to keep myself uh, encouraged and, and uh, moving forward. Yeah, we all, whether we've had a stroke or not, you know, you have good days and bad days, and that's so true. Right. And people right. need to remember that, whether they've yeah. had a stroke or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some things. I mean, when I have a bad day, I end up going to bed and just <laughs> for hours. You know, there were bad days. We just coped with it differently than we, mm-hmm. than we do now. Mm-hmm. In the long term or even short term, looking ahead, what do you hope to accomplish? Since you had mentioned coping, maybe that's a good segue here, too. Probably something I do to cope more so now than I did previously was to write. I guess I've always been a strong writer. My mom would tell me that in high school, and I would just think she was being mom. Mom was being supportive. Mom was just being mom. But now I've had enough people, different people, not family members, but different people that tell me that I have a gift for writing. So I write a lot of faith-based poetry. It kind of started out as a coping mechanism, as a way to help me to process, help me to vent, uh, help me to keep things in perspective. And now it's kind of just progressed into a weekly habit of mine. And I probably have, at by now, composed 300 poems that touch on faith in, in some way. So in the short term, I have two two volumes so far put out of the poetry, and I'm ready to launch the third volume. Also, the short term, I hope to just continue to, to speak, to share my story. I've done that with different churches and civic organizations, and so I hope that continues. And hopefully, I will have a full-time job lined up. Um, I have something in the works, so hopefully by the start of the new year, I'll have a, a new full-time position I love what I'm doing part-time, both at both part-time jobs, but I know that um, I have the education and I have the training to do something in a full-time employment. So I'd like to do that long-term. I would like to just continue to write, continue to speak, continue to inspire other people, and just um, live a, a life of influence, live a quality life. You've already, in a few years, done well. And I hope that you do a lot more. I remind people that Marty's book is called Life Interrupted, the story of a young stroke survivor. It's available on Amazon. I I think you should still be able to get it in electronic form if you want. You can get it through the publisher, uh, Zulon Press. It's X-U-L-O-N Press. Or um, I have a limited number of copies here, and you can contact me at my email address, H-M-Z-I-M, with the number three, at gmail.com. If you get them from me, they're $15, probably plus two two or $3 for the shipping. Um, and I'm not sure what uh, Amazon, what maybe a third party might be selling a little cheaper than that. But, uh, and I think the electronic copy might be 7 or $8. I, I think you all should check out his book. I know some people do better with audio things. Some people like a book right. in their hand. Some people right. like their Kindles or whatever. But, yes. uh, you know, yeah, check it out. I want to thank you for being with us. I hope that you will come back at some point 
and let us know what you're doing. Uh, sure, so, yeah, that'd be great. Thank so you. I want to thank everybody today for listening and uh, hope you guys found some helpful information and or entertained. Thank you for listening to, to the Hand in Hand show, a part of Stroke Focus. Marty, thank you for being with us. And uh, everybody, see you on the radio next time. This is an announcement of Stroke Focus. Stroke Focus has opened up its blog section to all its members. It is a professional platform, completely free and very easy to use. It provides instant visibility to know how many views your blog is receiving. At the same time, we are helping members put stories on our podcast. You can get a professional quality radio broadcast to share on Facebook, Twitter, or post on your site. For all our members with aphasia, our audio editors will help make your interview smooth. You do not need any professional equipment. No interview will be published before you review and approve it. There is no charge. Join us at HTTPS colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net or write to us at contact at strokefocus.net Join the growing list of people sharing stories. What you share will make a difference.